Greetings, friends. It's Chapo coming at you Monday, August 16th. In uh, just a little bit, I will be talking to uh, Terrence and Tom from the Trillbillies about the uh, devastating floods that they are living through in eastern Kentucky right now. Uh, it's a very good conversation with our friends, the Trillbillies. But before that, it's Chapo. It's Matt and Felix. We're chilling here in L.A. You know what we got to talk about. Trump nuclear codes. He's, folks... I mean, like, okay, so we, the last episode we did, we talked about, you know, feds did a sweep on Mar-a-Lago. And uh, since then, it's come out that, like, you know, the, the, the warrant was issued in conjunction with a number of statutes, one of them being the espionage. Act. Okay, so, like, the, most of the stuff in the raid, like, who gives a shit, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, it's it, the raid in and of itself and the document, most of the documents themselves, it's like, this is another case of someone being like, you did documents wrong. Yeah. But the, 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 the important thing is that one of the documents is basically like one of those 10 mile long CVS receipts <laughs> that may prove that in 2019, Trump and elements of his NSC like gave Saudis nuclear technology secrets, which it turns out they did. It turns out like Congress has seen documents basically confirming this fact. I know this is like on the verge of sounding very Liv Parnas, but the reason that I know it's true is that Trump and his uh, legal team, uh, his lawyer who he shared with King Vaughn, Drew Foundling, they moved to seal the warrant. And then when the Justice Department's like, okay, um, the warrant's unsealed, you like, this is pursuant to the Espionage Act. Yeah. He's like, uh, no, you have to reseal it now. <laughs> Which, like, kind of tells me that's exact, like, because it's like, what would be so shameful that even he would be like, actually, no. Yeah. And of course, that's not how the story is being told right now. Uh, as far as I could tell, it's, it's basically uh, he, instead of going back to Washington for the inauguration and the handoff of the nuclear football, like his tradition, he just was staying uh, sulking in Florida for the inauguration. And since nobody really wanted to bother him and they were all just kind of glad that he was leaving, uh, they just said, you know what? Let him keep it. Fuck it. We'll just get a new, b new uh, football made, and we'll have new codes. Switch out the code. We'll go. We'll go to Verizon, and we'll <laughs> yeah. get a new football. It's basically <laughs> so. Bas and then he kept it. And so, I mean, but if that's the, what happened, and that's kind of the story as it's being told, uh, that's like when you check out of a hotel and you forgot to give them your key card, and you like leave it in your pocket. It's like, you, you're not going to be able to like break and enter in there anymore. You know, they change the card as soon as your stay ends. So once again, you have real horrifying criminality and like a, an inability to actually talk about it because nobody, I guess wants to, yeah, cause it's like, too just terrifying. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, cause yeah. you're like in reading the accounts of this, like, yeah, like it, it is very hard to discern. I mean, again, like, cause you know, like the, the, the warrants, what's sealed and what isn't, it's very hard to discern like what actually these documents are, why, like why the raid take place. And if you're a defender of Trump, you, <laughs> we're really saying the FBI planted the documents and then the, within hours later they were just like oh no like uh, the documents are real but Trump declassified them and he yeah. declassified them by thinking he thought it's he thought as I was taking them out or like not returning them I, he just thought in his own head these are declassified well, it's, like, it's like space invaders they're planting documents and he's trying as fast as he can to declassify them <laughs> but yeah like I, I guess like the fact that like I wasn't even I guess like I was maybe dimly aware of this fact but yeah, like uh, I feel like, as you pointed out, in, in 2019, like Trump's National Security Council, like, you know, whistleblowers at the time said that they like illegally gave nuclear technology to the Saudis because they fucking bribed them. I mean, like, and just, try, just try to he, think about that. How like, the fuck did he get indicted 
or fucking mis, uh, in, impeached off some fucking Lev Parnas Ukraine bullshit. Ukraine. This is the worst thing he could have done. Like, this is the one thing where I will go, okay, he is a unique, he's like a unique male- malevolent force, not just in character and culture and and all that, but like in in policy. He, depa- he departs significantly from like Bush or like a hypothetical Rubio uh, administration because he's the only guy I could think of who would do this. Right. Outside of like a Saudi Manchurian candidate. And it's this not- is the most right. reckless thing he could have done. And not because of any ideological commitments. Not because of any uh, like theory of politics. Purely, he's running five million scams at a time, and he needs to have fresh infusions of cash at every point to keep the fucking thing going. And this is just another fucking short-term grift to keep him, keep him, to keep the lights on in the White yeah. House. If like just one of these things was true about Saudi Arabia, this would be grounds to execute him, right? If it was just a not a country, no institutions. Oops, all cousins. Right. If it was if that if it was just that, if it was just a just a fucking pile of sand with some oil and some cousins, that's grounds for execution. If it was that they'd have no formal military and the closest thing they have is religious extremists from their own countries and global hotspots that they send into Syria to do genocidal acts, that yeah. that's grounds for that's grounds for imprisonment, execution. If it was any of the if, if if it was any of these singular things, but it's all of them. Yeah, it's all of them. It is you're giving nuclear secrets to yes, a bunch of cousins who fund like freelance. Uh, what's the Nazi the Nazi Dirty Dozen? What? Otto Otto Scorsese. Otto. No, Otto no, that's special forces. Oh, I don't know. You know the guy who's a pedophile and like. Oh yeah. Otto, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Oscar Durlwangler, the uh, Durlwangler yeah, yeah. Brigade. Yeah, like. You're giving nukes to, like, to the Durlwanger Brigade, yeah. like five hundred freelance Durlwangers in Syria. Yeah, yeah. And here's the thing about this, though. Uh, so the one thing we know about Trump is that he, he has he he is a, basically allowed to do whatever he wants because it's in the general interest to let him do so. Uh, and he, that he and that means that he was allowed to do this because. There is no way that the highest levels of U.S. intelligence were not aware he was doing this. He was not able to ever disguise anything. He, he would take NSC meetings in front of the fucking uh, leather dinosaur golf pros at Mar-a-Lago, for Christ's sake. Like, he had no OPSEC. The other countries knew what was going on. We sure as shit knew. And yet it was allowed to happen. A guy that they could have touched at any time. <laughs> at any moment. And that means one of two things. It means... Somebody wants loose nukes in the hands, potentially, of the, the Saudi uh, psycho hillbilly cousin network uh, and, and has sees that as in, like, long term, the best interests of, like, their vision of, uh, of, like, American interests, which is a terrifying thought. Or the neoliberalization of institutions in America has also infected uh, intelligence and, like, the deep state to such a degree that they're incapable of stopping something like this from happening. I think I think it's I think it's both, right? I think that there are elements of the deep state who are right, like there are elements right. and they cannot be checked. Right, right. The, there's no overseeing force that could inter- could stop like a rogue, could like discipline like a Ted Shackley or something. Right. I think well, I think that there are like elements in there who are like, well, like if people found out about like if if like Los Angeles like got hit with a dirty bomb, like people would be mad at us, but like really what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah. And like it, it, it's like Again, it's like defund the police. I mean, what does that mean for me ultimately? Yeah. A bigger budget. And then there are other elements who like might want to stop this, 
but like trying to do 1963 trying to do the equivalent of killing jfk or rfk or any of that it is like it's like trying to get your insurance to cover adderall <laughs> <laughs> like making your way through the deep state phone yep. bank to like kill a president Impossible, to, no. it's, it's like yeah it's your hmo yeah it's everybody's nightmare. got a tummy ache they can't yeah. handle it a technician <laughs> will come by your house anytime between 6 a.m and 7 p.m you know like uh i would i would really love to uh inject the president with a with a pellet of rice but i just don't have the spoons <laughs> Literally, it's literally all fucking. It's all contractors. It's, yeah. I mean, I the, if they wanted to kill him for this, if they wanted to prevent this, they would have had to like have a mixer. Yeah. In 2019, between like former CIA special activities divisions who are technically classified the same as Uber drivers, <laughs> and like people formerly in DIA. I mean, like you know, when, when you know, like when when all, when this news is burbling up about you know Trump has. You know, like the, the way it was uh, sort of like uh, metabolized into like, you know, the popular discourse was that um, Trump just has like nuclear nuclear launch codes with a nuclear football in a closet in Mar-a-Lago. And we had a fun time just imagining what like, you know, probably defunct codes. But like the, the obvious thing that would come to mind is Trump just showing it off to dentists and yeah, cosmetic surgeons and just be like, look at it. The football, we're going to go toss around the big skin. Many of the, many of the generals, he didn't want me to have the football, but I, I'm a quarterback. I'm the commander in chief. Give me the football. <laughs> or just like you said, like making it like the highest tier of Mar-a-Lago membership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can Extra get your 10 grand a year. Yeah, you can get your picture oh. taken. Like, uh, Oh, do you think he like did a skit where like, because all his cultural references are from 47 years ago. He made like someone's big son redo the Samsonite commercial where the gorilla tries to open the suitcase <laughs> with a nuclear football. <laughs> Someone's just like big, slow son. Oh my God. But I guess like, like when like the, the, this is the perfect Trump scandal and Trump story because the, the spine chillingly horrifying and criminal and like world scale level genocidal evil that like people are imagining has already happened and happened legally and in more or less in plain sight. Yeah. I mean, no just, one just did like, anything. Like I'm just reading here, but like this is from NBC News. This is a Kendallanian from 2019. Whistleblowers from within President Donald Trump's National Security Council have told a congressional committee that efforts by former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn to transfer sensitive nuclear technology to Saudi Arabia may have violated the law, and investigators fear Trump is still considering it, according to a new report obtained by NBC News. The House Oversight Committee has formally opened an investigation into the matter, releasing an interim staff report that adds new details to previous public accounts of how Flynn sought to push through the nuclear proposal on behalf of a group he had once advised. Tom, yeah, I didn't know this. This is Michael Flynn who yeah. did this. Yeah, yeah, Mr. yeah. Mr. Fucking and, America, fucking first. Yeah. yeah, Michael. Well, yeah, Michael Flynn. Like, okay, if you remember, in 2015, he was writing articles that were like, "Let's shoot Erdogan with the AIDS gun," and then they were like, "Do you want a Maserati?" Yeah, and he's like, and he's like, I will personally capture and uh, compromise to a permanent end Fatullah Gulen. Yeah, like it's literally give him $700,000 and he will you'll get him supporting a caliphate by the end of the day. Yeah. It's, it's just, it just shows like how like this this whole mirage of a social movement, this based right populism, this uh, fantasy that it could be grounded in any meaningful politics when it's made up entirely at the highest levels of complete fucking frauds. Like there, there's no way to discipline them because they are fucking in charge of this thing. It's just all this, all this anger, justified in most cases, expressing itself in the most incoherent way, and then 
and then exploited by complete fucking soulless frauds who will literally give people who want to destroy the United States nuclear weaponry. I, like I, we were I, I, I think like, okay, I can game out what their argument in favor would be, right? It's like, oh, look how much uh, Mohammed bin Salman has secularized the kingdom. He's based. He's fighting like corruption within the kingdom. What he's gonna nuke Mecca himself? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, exactly. Epic face turn. Right. For it's, these guys. It's, it's so stupid. It's so stupid for like a billion reasons. But it's like, okay, so he like he still hasn't created institutions. Exactly. And it's still like who gives a, a shit what he wants? He's barely holding on by his fingernails. Yeah, it's a network of fucking relatives who hate each other. You're telling me he's factions gonna, yeah. upon factions upon factions. No institutional checks toward private activity. Like when we say the Saudis did 9-11, you can't really say what the, you mean by the Saudis. The highest levels of state, yes, but they're so compartmentalized and unchecked by one another, it still doesn't really necessarily add up to like a state project, which means anything is possible and because everything is utterly deni- at the end deniable. And even, even, if yeah. you believe, even if you believe that you know, 9-11 was pulled off by elements within the Saudi and American government. So it yeah. was a collaboration on some level. Believe Epic that. collab. And like, you know, like... like Mossad's in, in there too. Give them their bit. In, in, in service of, you know, like... Uh, They're like the maintaining, Rick Ross, the studio. Uh, yeah, maintaining... Like, you know, unchecked, you know, American military empire in the 21st century. If like, if you are committed to that project or even any kind of like American nationalism, no matter how evil it is or how it represents itself... This is the one thing, literally, you can't do. Yeah. And in the NBC article, it like it, it doesn't like stay straight out like whether it actually happened. They were like he was planning to do it, and like like they might have done it, or like it's it, it's all it's all very vague. But just the fact that anyone at any level in the Trump administration was considering giving the Saudis any kind of de- nuclear nuclear technology or declassified anything is grounds for execution. In my okay, opinion. I got. You say so. It isn't clear from what we have now whether it actually happened or whether this was efforts to. Yeah. Okay. So it's very possible that they watched this whole thing happen, waiting to intervene, and of course Trump fucked it up somehow, and it didn't happen, and then essentially kept it in their pocket, if they needed to, like, actually go against Trump, which it does look like they're doing right now yeah, to a degree I, that they weren't before. I think they see him as a unique threat to the institutions that they need to keep the fucking lights on in this country, and uh, and and see it in their interest to put more pressure on him than they have until this point. Yeah, I like I if I had to bet money on this, I would go Michael Flynn looking at the outstanding job that he did trying to capture Gulan, looking at the attention to detail and operational <laughs> intelligence of everything. They his, cro- his, his, his Machiavellian masterful month long stay as a national security advisor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I if I had to bet money, I would say that like they fucked it up. I would say that Trump sent them like something that's like a schoolhouse rock for how to enrich an atom. (laughs) I'm just an atom waiting to get split. Yeah. I would say it probably like it, they probably screwed it up, but even just like, even if you're right, right. I agree with you that this is the deep state going, okay, here's the, here's the hugely dangerous thing he did. And I think Trump has confirmed that's the case by how much, by them trying to reseal all this. That is by them wild. trying to sweep they all this. Want to do that. They're trying to sweep it back under the rug after raising his think about it. It's like they forgot what they did. Right. You know? Because like if it's if it's all the same stuff that has been going on, it's the same like, you know, bullshit like uh, uh weak tea and, and ab- abstract shit that Democrats have been throwing at him for the like last six years, then there's no reason to keep anything secret. Right. Because but it, it 
but yeah, if that's not the case, then maybe, yeah, maybe you you stop it. And well, yeah, but even if this is like the deep state, like pulling this back out three years later, it's like, well, like they're right. Like this is like the worst thing he yeah, could do. This I is mean, like this well, is like genocide. Like, okay, you thought like putting a lot of white women in cages was bad. You thought mass graves of Shia in Syria is bad. Absolutely, absolutely. Imagine that with a fucking dirty bomb. Yeah. Imagine that, like, not even leaving. If it's not even a even dirty leave bomb, Syria. like a working nuclear weapon. Yeah, and like it is a humanitarian catastrophe, unlike anything that we've seen as of recent. Yeah, and I mean, if you ha- if you look at like uh, current politics, this is rubric of like elite domination, like you know, some great reset, fucking uh, uh, fantasy of like them reshuffling of the social reality in favor of like a, a totally enforced centralized federal authority distributing resources in cubes and bugs and all that bullshit how would they not be incredibly benefited by a nuke going off in an american city or a dirty bomb how would that not absolutely help every bad actor that you're supposed to be worried about as a base fucking populist yeah yeah well i mean another thing i want to uh discuss is like you know whether whether they attempted to do it or there was ever any actual like legally approved or otherwise transfer of American nuclear technology to elements within the Saudi government, whether it happened or not, like I think we should take into consideration the like post president like post White House condition of Trump and his family. And I'm speaking about the two billion dollars that Jared just got from the Saudis. <laughs> this this big like big fund of money that he had now has access to, and the Saudi Live Golf Tour. That Trump is involved. Like, how how are we not to like interpret this as just a massive form of like legalized, like of just pay, like like openly paying the bribes that have been promised him for shit? Yeah. Like, like I honestly kind of wonder if Trump even knew about this, if this happened, that he was even aware of it, because it seems like you think that Jared would have been uh, actually, you know, uh, quarterbacking. It does seem like something that Trump would blurt out too. We're going to be helping our friends there, Saudi. They're going to be very happy very soon. We're giving them the bomb. They're going to have the bomb. Our good friends, they're going to bomb them. This sounds like something he would like tell the Eagle Scouts. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Like, I mean, it's a, you know, as we said, like a symptom of like a unique type of like incompetence and graft. But part of that incompetence and graft is that all these things are happening while he's like, producing more hamburger parties yeah like he's not true. aware it's it's yeah. it's jared and all these other people trying to like shore up holes in their shitty real estate deals yeah. with shit like exactly this. exactly and I, I i my guess is that what's going to end up happening is this is going to sort of subside and i and not gonna, i don't think it's going to lead to prosecution or anything it's no. going gonna, gonna to be a slow rolling thing like a, a sort of an investigatory uh, uh milieu that they, that it, they're going to keep going over the next two years and hope to sort of sink trump over time like you know the fucking trying to stab a woolly mammoth you know just bring him down yeah. with like death by a thousand cuts because i don't think they want anything to go to any real legal proceedings because prosecuting a president is a right that opens right, a right door that's never gonna get, you get all of them yeah it undermines things that just are are load-bearing structures so and i don't think they need to do that i don't think there's any imperative nobody's gonna make them do it if they don't want to I think they're just going to keep this like juiced environment going so that all the libs can like invest in it and feel like, oh, it's all this is all leading to him. Sure, they can fantasize, go to jail. But what they're really fantasizing about is he's going to not be president again. We're going to beat him in the, in the at the polls. And 
that'll get him through to the next election, and hopefully uh, it'll work and he will lose, either to DeSantis in the primary or to uh, Biden or hopefully somebody else in the generals. According to them, I don't know. I don't see. I So I if that's their plan, I am... I give it like a 50-50 shot of working, probably less than that. No, it's a very bad plan, but again, it feels like the best they can actually pull off. Yeah. Anything more than that requires degrees of coordination and capacity that these organizations have been drained of over the last 40 years. Yeah, I mean, so De- DeSantis would have to go to them and be like, I'm, I promise to be 30% more normal. Yeah. He got <laughs> like, that normal yeah. up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He, the thing is, they're, they're already reaching out to DeSantis today. Fucking David Frum, yeah. Arch yes. Neocon. Yeah. Arch Neocon says, hey, DeSantis, huge bump up from Trump. He will, he will go away if he loses. Which, wow. <laughs> hell of a fucking standard there, David. But he's reaching out the glad hand from the fucking establishment to this guy. Yeah. If he yeah. will take two, three steps in their direction, which of course he will because he's a fucking demon who wants to be president more than anything else. Yeah. That was hugely that was hugely symbolic. That was uh, Regina George inviting him to sit with them. Indeed, yeah. Uh, can we talk briefly about the fact that um, Trump has the same lawyer as Gucci Mane? That's really and, funny. Uh, well, okay, Vaughan. I, I want to correct myself. It turns out that's just his lawyer in the Atlanta in the Georgia vote tampering case, which oh, is like, oh god, but that's still his lawyer. That is his lawyer. It is his lawyer. I I was excited at the idea that Drew Feindling was his lawyer for the nuke stuff. That would be funny. No, who yeah. the hell is? I mean, if you can, if you can get a good. rapper off a gun charge, you can get a president off a yeah. nuke charge. Drew Feindling is a pretty good lawyer. He's <laughs> yeah. a pretty fucking good lawyer. He's gotten some of my favorite guys off. Um, he's responsible for some of my favorite pictures in rap because he is a five six Jewish man. <laughs> uh, he's pretty swagged out. He's pretty. He's pretty fucking swagged out. Um, and now, most importantly, this means there is one degree of separation between Trump and King Vaughn. <laughs> he feels like he's basically uh he's sean penn in carlito's way yeah yeah yes he's yes. like a fixer type criminal lawyer yeah, yeah yeah but he also see he's he's weird because he's has a little bit of that fixer thing like he gets he is notorious for like a guy will be on video emptying a clip into another car yeah and he'll get him out on bond wow like he's pretty fucking good but he also seems to be amazing in the courtroom i mean as far as guys that Trump could pick to hire, um, say he'll pay $972,000 to and then never pay, pretty good choice. Yeah. I mean, another factor that uh, is worth considering when it regards, like, you know, any possible prosecution of Trump is uh, the, the, the wave of uh, retaliations against the FBI that we're already seeing oh, right boy. now that has been, I mean, honestly, the best case scenario for anything oh, yeah. that could happen in this country. Like, because it's just, you know, uh, you know, Ken Watanabe. Let them fight. It's the early um, colonels getting popped off the bag. <laughs> and uh, I, we talked about this on Hassan's show yesterday, but I got to shut it again on our show. I got to I got to credit uh, John Dolan, the war nerd, because he did a Facebook post about that guy that tried to shoot up the Cincinnati <laughs> FBI office. God, what a legend. And he said the first sentence of this guy's Facebook post about it will live in the annals of like a 25th century American poetry anthology. Just the first sentence of his Facebook post. I thought I had a way to get through the bulletproof glass. Turns out I didn't. It really, it really <laughs> is like moths flying directly into the heat yep, map. Yep. They just, they can't take it anymore. And it's like, I'm going out. All I got to do is get myself there and then it'll take care of itself. And yeah, by I, the way, the guys, the guy's strategy for getting through the bulletproof glass involved a nail gun, a nail gun. 
a thing that fires a shittier sh- a bullet a much a, less at lower velocity. Gun. <laughs> Uh, but basically, though, so he like he fails to get into the FBI building and then he met, he escapes and he runs into a cornfield and he's holding off the cops at gunpoint like he's shooting from the corn while they're like at a perimeter. And then he fucking posted that quote was after he was in the fucking field. That's the most poetic thing I've ever of heard. Course. The cornfield. He ran yep. into like he ran to like the heart, to like embrace he all did, of it the entire archetype that he was trying to defend he went into like he went into like the base elemental form of soda yep <laughs> like he's oh my god you're right he tried to fuse with treats <laughs> yeah he tried to do like a he tried to do like have like a heroic death that would send him to the valhalla of infinite corn yes yes he's walk he's walter white at the end of breaking bad yes. <laughs> So once again, we have a genius. This guy is in Elysium. Yes. At the, like at the end of Gladiator when he's putting, he's dying and he's putting his hands out to touch the fucking cor- the, yeah, the wheat. The wheat. Mm-hmm. He's doing that with the fucking high as an elephant's eye corn. He's, he's doing, it's the, oh my God. He's, he's, there's rivers of Dr. Pepper. <laughs> it's perfect because he, he did it. He's like, this is like, this is blood of patriots refreshing the tree of liberty for like, so, like, Michael Flynn could make $700,000 giving Saudi Arabians nuclear secrets. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, d- d- doesn't kill a single FBI agent. Nope. Just fails. ratio. Yeah, doing something he saw in a Gerard Butler movie <laughs> that Mind of Jason saw. Uh, <laughs> and then, di- like, like tr- dies trying to merge with soda wall posting. <laughs> he's God. like he's jesus christ he's yes. like the new jesus christ if you want to know what would jesus would do if he came back out that's what happens to him he's the, he goes he's, down in a cornfield of golgotha yeah like it's like look i mean i the came remaining, not I came not to bring peace but a nail gun <laughs> <laughs> the remaining confederate statues should be replaced by yep, yes get him yes. in there yeah i mean like you know there's two other examples there was a guy who pulled up to the ricky Capitol. by the way his name was what ricky shitley or something <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. He has a fucking disgusting German name. What's that? What's that thing from the Cultural Revolution? Like the diary of the Chinese soldier who got run over by a truck, and right? They, like found his diaries. Yeah. <laughs> like that's him. That's for the American Cultural Revolution. That's true. There was a guy that just pulled up to the Capitol at like four in the morning, just fired off with four shots, a couple shots into the air, and then blew his head off, and then just shot himself. <laughs> and there was another guy I just saw this morning who was just like. Uh, he got a little too wild oh, on this Gab. This is so funny. He got a little too wild on Gab, and he was just like, he was like, I will like any FBI agent from the janitor to the director, Christopher Ray, yep. like should be murdered. Yep. Like they are enemies of the state, and like I will pledge my life to just taking out as many yep. of them as possible. And he said, I will not spend a single second yep. in custody. Yes. I will sacrifice my life. Like yes. there's no way yes. they are taking me alive. Yes. yes. He is currently in federal custody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you had your chance. They came for you. What'd you do? Did he even like point a gun at them? No, he went down peacefully. <laughs> yeah, but Matt, like, I mean, you had this vision of like, you know, let, let let's say Trump is indicted for you know treason or high crime, anything, whatever. Anything. Even if they anything. go at the lowest, it's just like any regional, go with the any any group, regional like. FBI office will immediately like see like lay will be laid siege. Yeah. By 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 just like you know like like feral magas yep. will be the their brick books. They're bringing out the trebuchets. Oh yeah, you got to know. Br- it. They're bringing out the arquebuses. Yep, yep. They're, they're bringing out the catapults. They're going to be. Uh, we said the they're scorpions. Gonna, they're like okay, like there's going to oh, be yes. someone, someone who's uh, close to death, and you said they will choose to get vaccinated. Yeah. 
and then be catapulted into the FBI office. Yeah, to and like your body will just smash against the wall. <laughs> yeah, that, spread the the protein. They'll shed the spike proteins to everyone inside the. That FBI was yeah. Office. That was my idea for them doing Mongolian biological. Yeah, work yeah, there. yeah. Yeah, no, and, they'll be, they'll, uh, and then also like any shit that they could get at Home Depot. Like a fucking like a, so, a sodium bomb in one of those like big green egg barbecues, just <laughs> rolling into the fucking lobby of a uh, of the federal court. Yeah, no, of course, but yeah. anything you know, anything for the cause. Oh, think about think about like um, they're getting like they're getting mowed down, like going over the top into no man's land, <laughs> and instead of an adrenaline shot, it's like a zinc and vitamin C super boost. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be upsetting watching these guys just pop off. But uh, it's it's not gonna I don't think add up to anything. No, I mean, like what what like what would happen? Like, is the FBI gonna be like we were wrong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and, and another another really funny element to this uh, that I've that I've seen repeated a lot that is like a, that has become like a a real focus for this like you know like violent revolutionary anger at the FBI. Is I've I've seen a lot of people sharing and obsessed with the idea that the FBI agents went through Melania Trump's underwear drawer and sniffed her pants. Yeah, these disgusting pigs. These people are sick. First they defend and protect Epstein, and now they do this. Awful. It that's funny because it's like that's the first thing I imagine Trump doing if he was an FBI agent. <laughs> <laughs> John Malkovich and being John Malkovich. Just- it's like a little cheeky little sniff. You that know. always confused me so much when I was like a little kid. <laughs> you know, like stuff where like a guy sniffs a girl's panties. Yeah, it's a very weird one. I've, I've never gotten that one. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, when, what you know, when the FBI has a search warrant for your house, I mean, it's, it's, they, don't, they don't say panty drawer off limits. It's true. You know? Yeah. And he said, like, they opened my personal safe. They opened my personal safe. That's really funny. Safe. My personal safe. That's why I keep things I don't want people to see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's very that is very good like they confiscated the idea, all my crime folders what <laughs> crimes i do well the idea the idea that like the fbi is searching your house and you're like okay off limits and they're like yeah you're right and like, okay what do you guys think is donald trump's personal safe like what is his rosebud that he keeps in there oh man uh i think he's definitely i think i totally believe now that he has a nuclear football and that if you like win the auction to sit at his table at the wet meat buffet mm-hmm. uh, at the end of it he shows you the football and you okay. have to like hold it and get a picture taken with it okay i think um stuff that's in trump's personal safe i think like so like a postcard that tom landry wrote like with his own hand right like his <laughs> like actual signed by him a picture where like his hand is on candace bergen's thigh yeah from 1984 <laughs> yes, absolutely and i think like maybe like fraudulent nazi memorabilia oh yeah like some stuff so he <laughs> like, got scammed off of ebay with yeah something really fucking dumb like oh these were hitler's cufflinks he like wore these, he wore these when he killed himself isn't that cool just stupid sh- like stupid shit like that like something that where it's like something that couldn't exist where yeah. it's like this was Patton's tv remote <laughs> <laughs> it's like a universal remote <laughs> oh my god yeah. hey a a photo of Douglas MacArthur signed by Harry Hamlin. <laughs> oh man! Well, uh, yeah, I I can't I can't wait to see what happens with this. It just seems like uh, I gotta say they're they're uh, you know the, this new season they're 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 raising the stakes. It's it, it's it's they're they're hooking us in again. I gotta give them credit. The yeah, programmers, it's, it's the showrunners, the archons. 
they're working overtime, and we, res- we, we salute them on it. Um, I mean, actually, just like uh, before we get into to, to Trillbillies, uh, one last thing in terms of the, uh, the Archons uh, scripting this, this new season of reality that I got to talk about. Uh, prayers up from our boy Salman Rushdie. Yeah, Jesus yeah. Christ. Holy wow. shit. Like, like, okay. I thought everybody had chilled Dude, out on that. That is that, wild. The fact that, like, okay, it do, it, do, he, it looks like he's going to pull through, but I mean, he Jesus, was gravely injured. And, like, you know, the fact that he lived through it, I'm like, okay, that's, that's G shit. Yeah. You know, like, he, he lived that long, 30 years yeah. after that shit. Some fucking moron just pokes his liver up at Chautauqua, the Chautauqua Writers Conference. I mean, it's in like Western New York. He'd been living more or less openly in New York for for like decades. And now. like the fatwa had even kind yeah. of been rescinded. Okay, this is funny though. The fatwa had been rescinded, but the bounty was still right. in effect. And it's like, what's he thinking? Is, are, does he think they're going to put it on his commissary? Yeah, in no, the prison? guy, the guy who stabbed him. We were questioning, like. Is he going to get the money? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does know, it go on his books? Yeah. <laughs> so you're thinking like he's in jail, but he has the most ramen noodles out of anyone <laughs> in like the yeah. New York state prison system. Yeah. He has to start like that guy has to start a new thing in prison. Yeah. Because it's it's like, OK, you're a Southeast Asian Shia Muslim. Yeah. It's like, who do you even you've got to start a new thing. You got to start a new thing. And all those ramen noodle packets will help. Yes, they're gonna yeah. lubricate the transmission. He's gonna be like Mansa Musa, that like fucking like uh, African king who like <laughs> would cause hyperinflation on his trap to Mecca because he spent so much gold on everything. Like that would be him in prison. Here's what I don't like about this guy, um, like him stabbing Rashid. <laughs> he stabs someone. Rashid. He stabs well, that's, that's his business. That's his business. <laughs> but no, no. I mean, it is that like this guy's like. 34 yeah how like do you, you care about this yeah he's like those people who like post under led zeppelin things on youtube where they're, they're like i'm yeah. 12 I well that's the, the thing wrong is, generation. what we're seeing that's really this really is meaningful you're showing like this is the cultural dead end we're all in we gotta like i'm a young i'm a younger i'm a relatively young guy who's frustrated and wants to like have a religious object i want my own corn uh you know transcendental moment how do i do it with my cultural context where I don't have corn as my god. <laughs> uh, oh, what do I have? Just this old fucking deal, this old culture war thing that's like been thirty years old because they're not generating any new anything new to believe in anywhere. Yeah, I, yeah. I, it, it's like they don't even in Iran. They don't. I think like the context for that historically is interesting because it's like no, like the Ayatollah wasn't like, oh, I like hate Rushdie so much. It was like a flex. It was like. I'm we're the real defenders of Islam. Right. Like Saudi Arabia can say they have Mecca and Medina, yeah, yeah, exactly. but like they can't like they can't openly call for the death of a Western. They can't kill for like, yeah, like a like a, a British citizen or like a, yeah, like a they're showing, yeah. they're like showing like like their state yeah. capacity and their ability yeah. to like project power. Right. Globally. Yeah. yeah. We're outside of the fold. Exactly. We can we like they maybe they can secretly kill Westerners. We're you know, openly. Yeah. Well, doing I it. mean, like, look, Saudi Arabia, they can they can wipe out all of Cantor Fitzgerald in one day. But if even <laughs> one of those guys had fucked Padma Lashma, you know, oh, yeah. then, like. <laughs> it would have been, been a problem. And you know what? Like, I got to say, Salman Rushdie, I'm like, look, I saw, you know, like, not overwhelming, but like similar to the Charlie Hebdo thing. There are a few dumb babies who are like, um, like, actually, Salman Rushdie, like, uh, deserves yeah. to die for writing a, a novel that I haven't Psych- read. Psycho. Oh, shut, shut the fuck, fuck up. up. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> you, like, yeah, you were really offended by his portrayal of Muhammad <laughs> in the satanic verses. Shut yeah. the fuck up. Yeah. But I got to say, outside, outside any freedom of speech issue, I simply must ride with Salman Rushdie because he is one of the all-time greatest pussy getters of all time. <laughs> I get, there is few men who have batted out of, like, have fought out of their weight class at a higher level than Salman Rushdie did. Insane. Like, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, res- 
respect. It's like his adjusted stats are are legendary because he's up there with your, your like your Warren Beatty's and stuff. Where it's like, well, yeah, but Warren Beatty looks you, like exactly. Warren Beatty. When you consider the handicap here, these are similar numbers. It's amazing. He put up Will Chamberlain numbers, and he's like five five. He's always looked the same. He's one of those guys that like he looks like Middle Eastern Fraser. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. He is always from the time. I was like an infant. He's looked 57 years old. Yes. And he's still like, he's never, he's never fucked a woman shorter than five, nine. Yep. Like he's God. Yeah. And, what can um, you even say? My, my other, my other favorite, favorite detail about Salman Rushdie is like, you know, like, like it, it, when that, what the height of the fatwa, when like his life was like truly in danger, he was living with round-the-clock CIA protection, like CIA bodyguards. They were living in his flat in London and, like, going everywhere with him. Round-the-clock CIA agent security detail. Guys who were, like, you know, like, basically would give their lives to save his. At the end of every month, he submitted an invoice to the CIA that charged them for, like, down to the individual sheet of toilet paper consumed in his apartment, the electricity bill, the water bill, uh, cereal, Everything he fucking squeezed every penny out of Langley for having guys live in his fucking house. He's awesome. He, oh, he kicks ass. You know, we I, we were talking about this uh, yesterday, but don't you think it's interesting how like, I mean, Iran, like the point of the thought was like it was like a sweepstakes. It's yeah, like, you know, go out and do your best. Um, <laughs> but that like, <laughs> go for it. Yeah, like no one leave it yourself. Don't you think it's interesting that no one tried a honeypot? Because it's always been known That's he true. gets a kind of pussy. Yeah. Like a little disciplined move could get there, yeah. Yeah, but like I guess they like anyone who anyone who would kill him for that exactly. is so like disgusted they're, by that idea. Yeah, maybe they're, they're not sophisticated enough for that sort of high high end espionage act. Yeah, and like Sule, a Suleimani type would be able to put that together, but I don't think like guys that competent gave a shit. Exactly. Yeah. Like that it's mutually exclusive. Right. Like, if you care about this stuff, it's because you're kind of a loser. Exactly. Exactly. Like, Suleimani is like, well, I mean, he was a little young at the time, but like his equivalent in IRGC and Kuds, they were like, we're, we're like trying to kill Israelis. Yeah. Like, what the fuck are you t like? No. Yeah. And it's interesting to look at this and see, like, okay, so we had this, this attack on Rishti, but this is, there have been zero, at least to my knowledge, like public terror attacks in the west uh like uh, uh ascribed to anyone or independently uh in response to the Suliani assassination you know there was no real like uh blowback to that there were some missile attacks on u.s bases in iraq but there was no real terror related to it even individual guys taking it upon themselves and it's kind of like well here's a thing where like maybe if you're pissed about Suleimani, you have something better to do with your time than like impotently of uh, strike out at the west like you have an actual project a state project that you could participate in. And so you don't need to do the loser thing of just trying to kill somebody. Yeah. I, I wonder like with the Suleimani thing, I think about that a lot because it's like, I didn't expect it to happen like right after, Yeah, you know, that's not really their style. I am kind of curious as to what it will be. If anything. Yeah. It's gotta be something. I mean, I feel like. apparently I mean, they, I mean, apparently they were put a bounty on Bolton. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, th that's an 83 year old man. <laughs> Like, better hurry up. So I just uh, a bit a bit of a bit of personal connection here with Rushdie. Uh, my mom emailed me this morning because she just forwards me Google alerts for like everything she gets from like uh, like me or our family, and it was a Google alert for Daniel Meneker, and she says I don't see any mention of dead in this. Do either of you? And it's just like an AP news story about Salman Rushdie being attacked. 
And I, I don't see my dad's name, but he, uh, he did edit one of uh, Selman's later novels called Shalimar the Clown, which, as far as I know, does not have any blasphemous depictions of Muhammad or does not defame the Islamic faith in any way, shape, or form. I just want to be very clear about that. But she says, did you know we went to Rushdie's wedding to Padma Lakshmi? It was quite the event. They got divorced pretty soon after. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nothing. So I, I actually did not know that. I know my dad edited one of his books, but. Nothing gold can stay. Yeah. What can but, you do? Um, just uh, uh, respect to Salman. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad, yes. he, glad he pulled yeah, well, through. Yeah. I mean, I hope he stays crushing pussy with one, you know, he's with one eye. But yeah. that's cool. Like, I can have an eye patch. That's yeah, cool. yeah. That's baller. If anything, I think he like he gets more now. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like that, that's just that's insane to me. But like 30 years, 30 years. Yeah. And then you just get poked up yeah. just randomly. Wild. Like, that's fucking wild. I'm glad you didn't die, though, because I would have been really fucked up. Yeah, that would have been sad. That would have been really sad. Uh, well, uh, anyway, let's, uh, let's move on to the uh, second half of the show. Here are uh, Terrence and Tom from the Trillbillies discussing the floods that just happened in eastern Kentucky. <laughs> okay, so uh, I know it may not uh, seem like it, um, in between my, uh, you know, uh, jaunts in between New York and Los Angeles, I, I do sometimes notice what's going on in the rest of the country. And uh, to that end, I would like to uh, welcome on uh, TNT of the T-Billies. That's right. It's Terrence and Tom from the Trillbillies to talk about the um, devastating floods that have just happened in uh, their neck of the woods, eastern Kentucky. So, uh, Terrence, you wrote about it in The Baffler. Tom, I read uh, an interview with you by uh, Sarah Miller about um, just like, you know, your, your experience of the flood and just the history of eastern Kentucky. So just to begin, guys, could you just like uh, share with me and our listeners uh, what your experience or like of you and your loved ones? What was your experience of the flood and its aftermath like? Man, I it was it was gnarly, dude. It like so I. The, all the phone lines were down and I couldn't get a hold of anybody. Like I usually like just when I get up in the morning, I call everybody, you know, like back home and nobody was answering. Nothing was going on. So I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe it's a little weird. And then I get a call from, uh, from the Parkway Inn Motel, <laughs> which is, is, is our uh, hotel in Whitesburg, which ain't the Ivy Leagues if you ever um, <laughs> want to stay in Whitesburg. Most people, yeah, if you live in, like, New York City, you go to brunch at, like, A59, uh, I don't know, some, like, nice brunch spot. Like, that's where me and Tom used to have to go to brunch on Sunday mornings with the church crowd to eat, like, soggy biscuits and powder eggs. (laughs) So my sister calls me, and she's, like, rattled, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And she's like, like, all of Whitesburg is underwater, I like was like waiting at the house, her and my nephew to be rescued. And she's like, eventually it got so high, like almost up to their, like the roof that like we had to take our chances with the flood water. So they just jump in the fucking flood water, her and my nephew and their dog. Like my nephew's like got the dog underneath his arm. And then like they float downstream and she says, it's not like being in flood water is not like being in a lake or even a river or a swimming pool. It's like, it just takes you wherever the fuck it wants to, you know? And there's a and, ton of other like shit in the water too. Like, yeah. And diseases. Gasoline. Yeah. Yeah. So my nephew, like before she goes under this bridge, like at the end of their holler, 
like my nephew grabs her and like pulls her up the hill and they walk up the mountain and over the other side, which is like an old like railroad tracks, but it's like all overgrown now. It's not in use anymore. And they have to walk down Kentucky 15 to the Parkway Inn where they called me from a landline because all the cell phone lines were down. So the rest of the day, I'm just getting calls from like buddies that I've not seen in a long time that don't live there anymore. Like, man, do you know, can you get a hold of anybody? Like my buddy Wes called and uh, he couldn't find his wife or kid for like hours. And then eventually they ended up being fine. But like, you know, so there was all that kind of stuff in the immediate. And then after the fact, like a, a lot of people, I mean, including my mom, my sister and my aunt all lost everything. And, uh, yeah, it was just, it was just, it was wild. I don't know. It was, uh, it's still, I, it's, I'm still having a hard time wrapping my head around it because a flood is, you know, tornadoes, earthquakes, those things. You don't really think of floods in that calculus of like varied, you know, you see them on the news from time to time, but like, it's, uh, I got a new appreciation. Read your, read your Bible, Tom. Floods right? are no yeah. joke. It's actually the, the OG. Yeah, the Old the, the, Testament. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Terrence, in your Baffler piece, you have a, uh, there, there's a stunning thing you describe about seeing, uh, like, like, like a building structure that's just like perfectly preserved, like on, on top, like this has been moved, like and then perfectly preserved, just placed on like the precipice of like a bridge or something. And then you realize like you're trying to figure out, did the water suck it under the bridge or did the waters just get so high that it went like over the top of the bridge? Yeah, it was hard for us to wrap our minds around because, um, you know, as I pointed out, this 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 housing structure, this it had been upstream from this bridge. And it was like a mental block you have in your mind. Like, how did it get from point A to point B? It just made no sense. And I think it's like with floods, especially with this kind of flood, I mean, you think of, uh, I guess, I, I don't know. I've never been in a, a serious flood before, especially not one in a city or in the countryside. But in this case, you had decades of, of strip mining. And I mean, we'll talk more about it in a second. But just to paint you a picture, in this case, you had decades of industrial activity that created this situation where the water was running through communities. Like, like I said in the piece, like stampedes of bulls. Like this isn't just rain accumulating in low-lying spots and then slowly rising and then like you're like, oh, shit. Well, I guess the, the water's getting higher. No, this was like the last that scene in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Where, where yeah, you yeah, got... Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's like, like wall of water. Just just like yeah. the deluge just pouring towards you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you've got... I mean, the dispersal of debris is what's so astonishing. And not just debris, but also people. Like, up in... They actually, two days ago, had to raise the death toll again. Like, they were still finding people that had been carried... Um, you know, we're talking miles. Like some, this one woman came into our mutual aid office and was telling us she's like, "Yeah, I lost my car." She was like, "I know that sounds maybe like cliche in a flood, but like, how do you lose a car? Like, eventually, you would imagine someone would find it. No one's found it two weeks later. Who the fuck knows? It's just, it's just I mean, we're disappeared. Just, it's just been, it, yeah, it's just been erased by, by right. nature. Um, but yeah, like uh, you alluded to it, and I just wondering, like, could you talk a little bit about how they like sort of unique geography and history of eastern kentucky make it so uniquely vulnerable to like how devastating this flood was that like otherwise would would have been bad but not nearly as devastating as what we're seeing now so, i mean surface mining is just about what it sounds like uh here you've got a mountain 
and it's got coal seams in it. And, and in a mountain, there's several coal seams. Once upon a time, you would go to the bottom of that mountain, you'd face it up, you'd you know, send the coal miners in, they'd bring the, the coal out. But as the industry became more mechanized, and, that, and especially as it started to sort of in, enter its end game after all the easy-to-reach coal seams had been mined out, they started this new practice called mountaintop removal, um, which was a sort of even more developed form of just surface mining. And so you cut the top of the mountain off. I mean, you just dr- dynamite it and then drag line it over into the streams. And, um, and then that way you can just literally lift the coal seams out of the earth that way. That creates flooding hazards in two ways. First of all, you've, gotten all, you've put in all that debris into the streams. The second way is that you've compacted the soil on top of the mountain so that none of it gets absorbed into a mountain. Like, these hills around here are mostly porous, and there's also vegetation, and the water can get absorbed. I, I, saw, I read this one article that said 70% of the rainwater went directly into the streams, which is apparently pretty astonishing. Like I, we're I, talking I, like 11 the, inches in 12 hours. Time. Yeah, even more than that. In some cases, up to 16 or 17 inches. I mean, some of these houses I've been into, you look at the flood line, the water line in their house, and it's taller than you are. Yeah, and like and sixteen or seventeen inches, like that's like if it, like in if it was just flat or whatever. But sixteen or right. seventeen inches when it's now um, channeled into these very narrow uh, creeks and uh, valleys uh, becomes like an astonishing amount of water in a really like frightening amount of time. That's exactly right. Yeah, and so like uh, so like the 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 floods it happened about uh, two weeks ago. But what is like the state? Uh, what are the conditions in eastern Kentucky and the flooded areas right now? So a lot of those areas, obviously the water drained out. The water drained out within about three days. And there was a few dicey moments because it felt like it was going to start raining again at any moment. And it did start raining. And, and so there was a little bit of flooding again here and there. And obviously everything has come in waves. Every single day is different. It's, I mean, anybody who's like lived through a disaster like this, they're probably listening to this and like being, you know, saying like, uh, I've, you know, baby's first disaster or whatever. But Get like, your white up, boys. <laughs> <laughs> but it is my first disaster. I didn't know what to, to expect about anything like this. Um, so, like, every day really is different. So, like, at first there was the National Guard, and you'd see those trucks everywhere. FEMA hadn't arrived yet. Uh, nobody from the federal government. And we were just running supplies to people uh, out of our own money and money that people could get to us. And then it, it sort of caught up about a week later. Then you had like an inundation of like crisis workers, like church groups, uh, nonprofit people, and supplies. And then about a week after that, uh, and a, at some you know some point in the middle of all that, FEMA arrived, but you couldn't tell because, as I explained to Tom, like I, when I was thinking of FEMA, I thought like oh you know, like they'll have like cute fancy uniforms, like you know it's. I'm from the government. I'm here to help you. It's like, <laughs> no, they, they wear like polos and like boat shoes. They look like a CIA, like a CIA. <laughs> they look kind of like that. You know, that CIA agent in one of those James Bond movies uh, He's like supposed to be like the cool American with a Hawaiian shirt and like a <laughs> played by like Joe Don Baker in uh, GoldenEye. <laughs> That's the exact yeah. one I'm thinking of. <laughs> they look like Joe Don Baker. <laughs> what are you doing here, Wade? Banyan trees. Uh, I am not here. The CIA has no knowledge, no involvement. But like, yeah, like, uh, I mean, like the Terrence, the, the title of your, your piece is Flooding in the Sacrifice Zone. 
And I guess, like, you know, it, it, it makes a point of, like, you know, Eastern Kentucky, the conditions in Eastern Kentucky have, you know, have been, you know, this is a, a sacrifice zone. Like, this is a place that, like, capitalism has, you know, uh, taken untold wealth out of. But, like, there is, you know, virtually no infrastructure um, that could contain something like this. And the effects of the flood were greatly magnified by, you know, the, the extraction of coal and mountaintop removal, like you were saying. So, I mean, like, like how do you how do you see this disaster as sort of, you know, like, I mean, you know, New York has flooded a bunch of times, but like as a preview of things to come as climate change worsens and as like capitalism, like, you know, uh, concentrates itself even further and just like uh, abandons larger and larger parts of this country to like these sacrifice zones of, you know, people and just like a, a forgotten about place. I mean, Tom, I, I don't know if you want to add anything here, but I mean, I will, I'll say that the inland southeast where we live is already mostly almost a rainforest. I mean, it gets something like 60 to 70 inches of rain a year. And like by comparison, I'm from originally from New Mexico where we get about six or seven inches of rain a year. I mean, it's we get a lot of rain here. Um, and they're saying and, and people were saying this for years. Tom sent me an article just about a week ago where we were talking about this. But people have been saying for years that. Eastern Kentucky and Central Appalachia, this these this place where you've got this very specific mixture of circumstances, uh, you know, the legacy coal mining, but also increased rain events from climate change from a warming world are going to create this situation where these disasters are more common. So, I mean, like they called this like a one in thousand year flood, but I, I would assume over time that's going to be cut down to one in 10 years. Well, yeah, it's it's accelerating it just kind of a crazy clip because uh, that the article that Terrence was talking about is the study that the Army Corps of Engineers did with Duke University, and they looked at the river basins and all their tributaries in central Appalachia where there's been a lot of strip mining going on, and they had projected that, you know, and they showed, like, the, the, the river basins that were, like, the most affected. And the three that were most affected were the Lower Cumberland, the Big Sandy and the Kentucky, which the headwaters of all three of those start in our town. And those were the most affected. And they projected that by the year 2070, that basically there would be this 35% increase in like the, the stream levels and stuff because of the destruction from the coal mining and everything. Added with a, a, a coming monsoon season for much of the Southeast. So you got this like thing that's ripe for disaster. Well, they're already at 35% in 2022. They projected that by 2070. So they're about 50 years early on their projections. And this, I think yeah. they, they ended that in 2015, the study. I was just going to say, if you're a wor poor working person in one of these communities, you most likely live in a cheap trailer home in a floodplain. I mean, we've created virtual just traps. I mean, like this is a, it's a death trap for a lot of people. Uh, and it's, it, you know, it probably varies from place to place, whether you're in like Ohio or out west versus here. But here, a lot of the infrastructure is completely worn down and uh, devastated by the coal industry. And that's what's kind of ironic about the whole idea of rebuilding. Like for years, for about 10 or 15 years, the sort of professional class here has been involved in this long term project called you know the just transition away from coal and the whole insinuation was that we were rebuilding from the devastation of the coal industry but nobody could say that because i mean we would be insulting the coal bosses 
Um, and so it's just it's just devastation compounded on top of devastation. So, yeah, no, you're the Democratic governor, uh, Andy Bashir, uh, Tom, you talked about something called the SOAR initiative, uh, saving our Appalachian uh, rivers or something. Well, sh- sh- shaping region. our Appalachian region. <laughs> yeah. OK. Shaping our got to shape. Yeah. Let's shape the region. So it's a little less of, I don't know, uh, c- cut cut through with the uh, deep creeks and uh, cleared mountaintops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the sword like that initiative is dead now, basically. Well, yeah, well, the whole thing was predicated on like the idea of like we're going to give these, you know, like it's, it's everything we've ever heard about, you know, sort of like giving micro loans to poor people to start businesses and all that kind of stuff. But it's like a lot of people had been doing that for a while, right? As part of this whole calculus of like the the just transition movement, they called it in Eastern Kentucky and other places that are are, are you know. You know, poor and affected by like extractive industries and stuff. But it's like the reason it's dead is like, okay, if uh, me and you have a restaurant wheel in this town that's become rapidly depopulated because all the jobs are going out, right? And uh, a flood comes and like takes our building out. Like that's almost like a mercy kill in a way, right? Because it's like now yeah. I get my insurance money and all this stuff, and I don't have to like <laughs> live not, on these razor ass thin margins. You know, I don't have to set it on fire myself and hope <laughs> I did a good job. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, we don't have to good fellas. So, yeah, it's but the whole thing is a crock, and then it's like you know I, I'd mentioned to Sarah in that thing that like. uh you know, some of the things they had come up with were like Elizabeth Holmes, Theranos esque, like horseshit, where like they wanted to take mine runoff water that was trapped in what they call slurry ponds. And these things, when they rupture, can be pretty destructive. I mean, they've wiped out towns and, and, and everything like that. One in Martin County, Kentucky was like, what was it, Terrence? Like three times the size of the Exxon Valdez oil spill yeah. when it ruptured yeah. and just buried the town and, and this like mine runoff shit. But this guy wanted to take all the coal slurry and use it to generate nuclear power as like a clean energy thing. And it's like, how does that work? Well, you know, like, like, you know, you'll hear like Japan does that, but they have like the whole Pacific to, to draw water from and whatnot, you know, like, yeah, there was a lot of holes in it, but like, it's, it's that kind of stuff. It's all like scammy shit. And then the other thing is, like they let all these recycled coal bosses get in on the ground floor of whatever the newest like thing is, you know, whether it's solar or whatever it is. So you have all these old guys that were like coal diehards that are now like, oh, we're solar guys. But really, all they've done is just retrofitted their outfits to like put up solar panels. Well, we will still be using coal to run the solar panels. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Um, uh, I know. I know you guys have mentioned some of the uh, uh, the mutual aid work you're doing, just like out of pocket on your own. But uh, Terrence, a, a point you raise in your Baffler piece is sort of like the limits of charity when confronted with you know like the, the, like what is it like a generational like environmental and economic problems that are now um, coming to the fore because of you know things like flooding and climate change. But just like you make the point that yeah, like people need socks or generators or whatever but as soon as you start talking about hey how we just give them housing or like a new place to live like the steel door just slams shut yeah absolutely i think that you i think that this is an interesting issue with this that i've really been turning over in my mind a lot which is that natural disasters and again that phrase i find to be very interesting that we call them natural disasters um but 
natural disasters do kind of create a contradiction, which is that by their very nature, by their very physical force, they can sort of challenge in a revolutionary way, an accelerationist way. It's not good, but they challenge the bounds of property. They, they turn private property and personal property into public property. All your shit goes into the <laughs> into creek. Into a lake. Into a fucking yeah. swamp. Exactly. Yeah. The lady's exactly. car. <laughs> hey, the, 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 the property line's by the poplar. Wait, where the fuck is the, where'd the poplar go? It's still hey, yeah, over there. Right. <laughs> um, and this requires, like, intense, intensive um, policing. And, you know, and we talked about that a lot. We've talked about it in the, that in the last couple episodes of the show and in the baffler piece um but i think people are finding this out more and more and i think it's why it's becoming a huge flashpoint in both urban and rural politics like the example i mentioned in the piece was the chase of Bowden recall in uh san francisco that like visible poverty and um and uh, you know, reforming policing and, and everything like that. This has become a huge flashpoint for like the reactionary liberal um, politic. And I think that it's tied in here um, because like they can't give people free housing. That is, that's not what they do. Um, and so it has to be policed. And obviously the reactionaries have their own way of doing it, but the liberals can't just come out and say that. Um, which which creates this very bizarre kind of like disjointed like farcical thing, where you see all these Democratic politicians like Bashir and our own state representative Angie Hatton running around um, with our congressional representative Hal Rogers, where they all like are sort of making gestures to rebuilding. But the one thing that nobody can say is that the way to do it would be to put people in free, efficient housing outside of floodplains in a safe way where they don't have to leave the region and where they can be provided for. But again, nobody's going to, they, they can't, they can't do that. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned like this sort of, uh, the, the, the reaction to local police response, which is just like, Oh boy. I, I mean, I, I just, I wish a motherfucker would try to loot something. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to round up these looters. And it's just like, from what you describe, it doesn't really sound like there's anything to loot. No, it's all it's all under what it's all under like oil drenched water. Like it's like, yeah, they yeah. they act like there's this robust market for like waterlogged fucking shit from somebody's <laughs> garage or something, and we got to put a stop to that. It's fucking it, ridiculous. It is yeah, a I've weird. A, I, I looted a PlayStation Five that I took out of someone's <laughs> engine block that has been floating in front of my house. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it makes no sense because like some of the. Uh, like there's like a genealogy of certain like looting myths because like one that I kept hearing was like, oh, people are flipping copper. They're like out here scrapping copper and they're selling it. And it's like to who they would have to fucking they'd have to, everybody have to drive to Lexington to fucking yeah, sell like, who it the fuck, or who paddle is, boat it. It's like every the, the thing is, is like this storm was so catastrophic that everybody was affected and fucked up by it. Everybody. Like, nobody was enterprising enough with it. Like, who the fuck is just, like, sitting around, like, waiting for... Like, yeah, like, as soon as the flood hits, like, all right, now I'm going to go steal a catalytic converter. Like, no one is that quick. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it happened. I'm sure it happened, but it's just the whole... The fact that the cops were saying this before the floodwaters had even receded just shows you that they are the ones spreading the rumors. And I guess, yeah, like, that's the the reactionary response, like you said, like, from the, uh, the... Democratic state leadership or politicians, it, you know, it's like a 
sort of half-assed FEMA response, but also like I would imagine, I don't know, like uh, tax credits for people who stay in a floodplain and like some ramshackle fucking house or like open a business in a formerly flood devastated community that no one lives in anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is weird. Like FEMA, FEMA it, itself is a very strange organization. Um, like me and J- Tom have joked multiple times that it is almost like a practical joke in some ways. Uh, it seems designed to waste your time. Which and I don't I don't know maybe somebody would get angry at me saying that I don't you know I don't know maybe maybe it runs efficiently but all of my interactions with it uh, have disabused me of the notion that it exists to help people in any meaningful way after a disaster. Well, I feel like the the conspiracy theory about FEMA is that they're like it's like a federal infrastructure that's just like when the order is given they're just going to round everyone up and efficiently put them into <laughs> camps but it's just like do you do, like your interaction with this organization do they seem that prepared to do that? <laughs> As I said, you're not going to go to a camp if a guy with a Ralph Lauren polo and bow shoes shows up at your house. <laughs> like well, a it was also PPK. it was also funny because weren't you telling me like they they're like not even going to people that are like trapped in these hollers and stuff. They're like putting up these mobile stations that are like not reliably located or anything like that. Yeah, that is the thing. That's the funny thing about the FEMA conspiracy theory because it's like what I've seen of them, they won't get off their asses to go anywhere. <laughs> they're like not rounding they, anybody up. <laughs> they're not rounding any up because they're not even going to people's houses to check on them until no, you actually... a situation when you would want them to round some people up. <laughs> right, yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. right. Get them out of the, the, the holler that they're stuck in. Because like you said, like like road, like all the roads, like there's sometimes like the only access to these communities in like rural parts of Kentucky have been completely washed away. So they are now completely isolated and cut off from any infrastructure of even like can I can I even get out of this of this area that I'm now trapped in? I, I have a friend. He's blind. He lives up a holler, and he's still uh, cut off because his bridge broke. And they have to. And, and his dog was sick, and they had to take it to the vet. And so they literally had to put his dog on a raft and like ferry the dog over to the other side and take him to the vet. I mean, like yes, that's just to illustrate that a lot of these places yeah. are still cut off. And I, actually, I have a funny. FEMA anecdote before we move on. FEMA is set up in our town. They set up like a mobile, I guess like you could call it a hotspot. Like it's like a Wi-Fi network or whatever. But the funny thing about it is that it's password protected. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh my God, you just lost everything. You're trying to contact your relatives and they're like, okay, X, capital J, lowercase W, K, K, one, ampersand. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I like the idea of going to your local like city council meeting and like the only reason that you're there is like, yo, can I get the Wi-Fi password? All right, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, like actually, you've been doing some like like uh, community aid work. Could you describe a little bit about like uh, the people you've talked to, like what they're feeling right now, their anger, their fear, and just like what kind of stuff people need right now in uh, Eastern Kentucky? Yeah. So m- the main thing is that people need money. And there's a lot of supplies. There's a lot of distribution centers with a lot of supplies. Um, the politics around that has sort of started to become in- interesting as people are now accusing like drug users of, uh, I don't know, taking advantage of the distribution centers. It, I don't know. It is, it's so fascinating to me, again, how <laughs> like class hierarchies get kind of reinforced during all this. Um, anyways, there are people that need 
supplies, but they can mostly get them from the distribution centers, but they mostly need is money. And so we've got like mutual aids funds set up like that. And I'm sure, you know, I can send you guys the link and we'll put them in the, uh, the show description. And what we also need volunteers because what I've started doing in the last couple of weeks is um, like mucking out people's ha- houses. And I really cannot describe how awful this is. I mean, a lot of the material that's been left in people's homes. First of all, if, if you live in a trailer home, it's basically completely, as Tom was mentioning earlier, trailer, trailer homes, once they get any amount of damage, I mean, yeah, they're, they're and, and my mom's and sister's and aunt's house, like the walls are already starting to bow. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. not even safe to be in there, like getting stuff. Like you need to get the shit and get out, you know? You, yeah. The, you, the material is made that trailer homes are made with. It's abysmal. It's appalling that we would force anyone to live in a situation like that in this country. Um, but we've been to the extent that anything is salvageable in those homes. We've been trying to get them out and, 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 uh, you know, help those people. Um, but the thing is the protocol with a lot of this is like, you have to go in, you have to shovel out all of this muck that is mostly, um, chemicals like oil, gasoline, uh, fecal, like shit, actual shit from like septic tanks, um, mud. It, I mean, just the smells that like, Oh, the, it's it's astonishing it's absolutely astonishing and so we need volunteers for people to help out with that too and again I'll, i see you guys the link like i know i'm not expecting people to come down from like british columbia or whatever to volunteer but like you know <laughs> i don't know if anybody is listening in the you know slightly outside the region and wants to come help i'm sure we could find a way to do that and that's the crazy thing about this it is astonishing that and I pointed this out in the early days of this, and then I felt bad because I was like, well, maybe I was too harsh on the National Guard and FEMA or whatever. But it's like, <laughs> it's like, because like, you know, you kind of talk, you can talk yourself into that sometimes. Like, oh, maybe I'm being too ridiculous about this. But it is really astonishing that like a ragtag group of locals has to go and clean out people's homes and give them supplies and money. Like, it just continues to blow my mind. I, I don't know. I mean, I again, I know all of the things we know about the neoliberal government and that it doesn't do anything or whatever, but it still is impossible for me to wrap my mind around the fact that, like me, someone who is not an expert in, like, gutting houses in any way, like, <laughs> that I would be tasked with helping people, you know, helping people in something like this. It's It's really... Astonishing. Uh, I mean, like, Terrence, like you have, you have a couple of points in your in your article where you say, like, you know, you just got to laugh, you know, like when you're confronted with the magnitude of these kind of problems. But uh, Tom, um, in your interview, you mentioned that um, your mom was in the hospital when the when the flooding occurred. Yeah. So my, we've not. My mom doesn't even know yet. My mom's. Well, yeah, uh, that's what I wanted to bring up because you said like she was, <laughs> yeah. she was in her condition and she'd want to turn on the TV and you'd be like, like, let's just stay away from the news channel. You don't have to worry about it. But the fact that your house is gone now. Yeah, I'd be sitting there with her. She goes, God, I can't wait to get out of here and go home and sleep in my own bed. And I was like, oh, yeah, God. yeah, yeah, about that. <laughs> <laughs> so no, it is kind of funny in a dark way. But uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know, man. There's just uh, no absolutes in human misery, I would say. So, I mean, might as well laugh about <laughs> yeah. it. Laugh yeah, about it a little absolutely. And I guess, like, um, in terms of, like, a, a, the, you know, a, a vision of things to come for the rest of the country, and particularly in areas of the country where, like, you know, capital is highly concentrated in very wealthy parts of the country. I mean, I, I asked you guys to come on uh, a couple of days ago after I read your, your Baffler piece, Terrence, but, like, almost the day after that, and I'm standing in L.A. right now, 
I read about something called the atmospheric river that has the potential to be the greatest natural disaster in human history. And, you know, I always thought, I always thought an earthquake was going to be the thing that takes out LA, but apparently no, like, and people have known about this for a while. There is the potential for basically the entire Valley to flood at once. And it is just a giant concrete bowl that will not drain. And it could happen like pretty much instantly. And it's going to, it could happen very soon. And I mean, like that would, that would, lead to the displacement of millions of people overnight. Yeah. Yeah. What I've seen is that, and I guess this is kind of where like the gallows humor comes into play. What I've seen is that no one cares. No one gives a shit. Like that would happen and the Democrats would still probably be talking about rebuilding. We're going to rebuild. There's like 4 million dead and and like 200 million displaced. We're going to rebuild. It's it's insane. I mean, like, it's like you said, Will. It's like, like we know it's not a matter of if, but when there's going to be a massive earthquake that like shelves like most of the Pacific Northwest off into the ocean, right? Like people, geologists have known this for years, and it's like you know it could happen today or it could happen in a hundred years, but like they know it's imminent. And it's crazy that we kind of get stuck in this, uh, like just thinking that like, oh, well, that, that can never happen. I guess it's the same mechanism that helps us deal with like the fact we know we're going to die, right? Like if it feels like yeah. it's far enough down the road, we can just kind of kick the can a little bit. But it, yeah, I, it's I, that shit would scare me now <laughs> reading that kind of stuff. I, I just think that like in a healthy society, one that's not built around the profit motive, we would have values that would want us to protect want to protect the environment want to live in an ecosystem that is not trying to kill us at all times um and if it is to use science and technology available to us to to protect ourselves and to live efficient you know happy lives to where when we do go out we're comforted and everything but uh but yeah, I don't know. It's well, I mean, like not you know, not to defend the profit motive or anything on on Jeff's <laughs> trap house, but he, he thinks it's like almost suicidal in the way because like you know, even if you like take for granted like the long term viability of like you know the economic growth and you know the the profit motive, you think like huge chunks of like urban centers and like large swaths of this country just being like fucking devastated, obliterated by natural disasters, and that having like no one prepare for it or do anything after it happens would seem to be somewhat uh, antithetical to uh, everybody continuing to make fucking money. Well, here's <laughs> or maybe what I not. Found. I mean, maybe that's the scary part. I mean, maybe no, like no. it's actually. No, no, you're absolutely right. Here's what I found. Natural disasters, or again, whatever you want to call that, they are immensely profitable. And again, I know, obviously, like Naomi Klein has pointed this out. There is the whole thing about disaster capitalism. But like the sort of minutia of disaster capitalism is what is blowing my mind. The fact that like I can sit and like, you know, you can stare at a mountain of Colgate toothbrush. Like you have to imagine every time there's one of these things, they sit in their boardrooms at, like Johnson and Johnson and like everything. <laughs> they like looking at like the fucking line go up every time there's like stuff like this. Terrence been catching those tide loads of hope all over. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's immensely profitable for not everyone, but um, but for probably certain segments of the capitalist class and industries. And I mean, at, I don't know at one if there will ever come a point where it's not profitable for enough of them to where they can then leverage that into some, uh, I don't know, reform. I have no idea. But right now it's too profitable, I think, for certain segments of capital to not fuck, want to fuck with it. 
All right. Well, I think we should uh, uh, leave it there for the day. Uh, Terrence and Tom, the Trill Billies, I want to thank you guys for coming on. Uh, just, you know, send, sending love from the Chopper Trap House family. I'm uh, glad uh, everyone you know is uh, safe at the moment. But we will include those links for, um, you know, community aid and our resources for anyone who wants to uh, volunteer or donate. So, uh, you know, thanks for all you're doing there. Stay safe and uh, just sending love to you guys and all of uh, Eastern Kentucky right now. Thanks, thanks boys. Appreciate we you. appreciate it. All right. Cheers, guys. Oh, Won't you spare me over till another year? Well, what is this that I can't see with ice cold hands taking hold of me? Well, I am death, none can excel. I'll open the door to heaven or hell.